Yeah, it's so, a good... MC MC Escher Pennyworth. Oh, oh, I love that. You always bring a oh. sort of sophisticated MC Escher, uh, you know, <laughs> the guy with the mustache, uh, Dolly. Dolly. Yeah, yeah, always... the guy with all the big half half tone dots on the on the pop culture art, uh, Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein. Yes, I don't remember if we got that guy's name in that episode, but I remember. Nope. Like we need to talk to someone because I know I know Django knew that name. I even think Dude. I mentioned that in the episode. It was my turn to be screaming at the podcast yeah. machine. Don't let anyone ever think that I think I'm a professional. I know that there are people out there screaming at the machines when I'm talking, and I want you all to be a part of it. podcast baby exactly um and on the topic of pandemic podcasts welcome everyone to batman in quarantine episode 18 it is a new week and we are starting batman r.i.p issue 676 uh, a bunch of buddies who run a comic shop together talking about batman none of us are experts none of us remember exactly what happened we just remember we really liked it and only really read the whole thing once years ago so in an attempt <laughs> to stay connected in a world where we live behind masks i'm also super excited to not have to wear a mask for one of these podcasts one of these days um but uh, i'm wearing my batman mask your bat mask <laughs> and your batman shoes i bet <laughs> <laughs> uh and as always i'm jeff i'm justin and my leg is still shaking from realizing that Django is going to be on this podcast with us here today i'm Django, and uh apparently i'm the leg shaker oh. I, uh, I uh i decided to uh surprise justin with it right after we ended the previous episode and tell it him daddy's so gonna good. be here next time he, he, <laughs> he, he lit up it was pretty yeah. good it was so good my leg like i said Hey, I just want to take a moment to bring up something that is unique to this omnibus binding of the Grant Morrison Batman run that Justin and I have been reading. And I can't stop thinking about it. So I just want to bring it up to you guys. It's done in a lot of silhouette imagery of just the white top of the Batman logo. So you got like the little ears and the wings coming out. But if you flip it upside down, it looks like the outfit, it looks pretty darn close to the outfit that thomas wayne wore that ultimately dr hurt wears where the ears are a lot more curved outward i don't know if that's intentional or not but i can't not think about it every time i see it when you held that cover up i thought it was just batman hanging upside down see it looks it's got the very like classic old looking batman look to it so right i like always they get kind of visually confused if it's the red bat going up or if it's like a black bat going down hanging upside down so i I think that's you know it's the battle of the bat hey Django. before we get really into this issue 676 r.i.p number one we should set up like an email for people to get a hold of this podcast if they ever want to right oh yeah that's a good idea i don't know Um, how to do that what's a good what's a good email url for that how about uh batman in quarantine at gmail.com I love it. Batman in quarantine at gmail.com. Before this episode goes live, that email will exist. I sure hope nobody else has it yet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we started recording and making this podcast, Batman in Quarantine, when we were like waist deep in quarantine. Like people were not leaving their homes, businesses were all closed, comics were not coming out. And Miss those uh, days. 
Yeah, miss those days as well because now we're you know waist deep and states opening up and other states not opening up and things getting worse places and I uh, yeah I, I I'm excited for when we inevitably take a step backwards and we're all just hanging out in our homes again. We gotta stop. And I'm sorry because I love it. We have to stop making new podcasts because every time we branch out and like when we started the original podcast, it was like, what, episode five when Trump got elected? Oh, it was early on. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were all like, no way, no way (laughs) before the episode. And then it was a very somber, somber close to the episode. And then now we started it in the like kind of rising peak of being trapped. And now everyone's going out there and getting it. And, you know. Listen, I admit I have a compulsive problem about starting podcasts. Um, <laughs> I, I have a problem and I don't know. But you know who else seems to have a problem? Batman. The Batman. Yeah. <laughs> e. All right. Batman has got lots of problems. He's he got- does. And before we get into the heart of the issue, what everyone who listens uh, to the podcast did miss is that because this issue um, has a three issue, like a three page lead in that was in DC uh, universe number zero in 2008. And uh, <laughs> is also collected as the, like the pre the prologue in the Batman and RIP hardcover that exists. Uh, that is not a part of the issues that Django had. And he's a proud reader of issues so everyone missed um, a Jeff and Justin play-like <laughs> read-through of the three pages that uh, have Batman and the Joker sitting in a prison cell with Batman talking to Joker that is a clear homage to the killing joke, but it's setting us up for what R.I.P. ultimately is and is going to do. Now, I was so deep in reading that and being really embodying the character of Batman. The Batman. Django, can you... What do you think those first three pages got got out? I think it starts with, it, it's basically Batman and the Joker hanging out and talking about um, how the black glove is kind of after Batman, right? And, um, and Joker is dealing out a dead man's hand, but with a twist. What is a uh, dead man's hand? It's aces and eights. It's allegedly the hand that uh, uh, Wild Bill Hickok was holding when he was shot and killed and Jenkins yep. knows about americana stuff. i watched some deadwood cowboys yeah. uh i think i think by the end of deadwood i think that there's a dead man's hand with bill oh shit and uh at the end of this three or four page story uh joker reveals the last card to be a blood spatter joker card right so it's it's aces and eights but with the with a wild joker instead of a natural Okay, a wild Joker. That's actually a good way to even think about uh, Joker's role in this R.I.P. story. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, we got an organization, and uh, they're pursuing Batman, and then you got the the free radical agent that is the Joker in here, who is really not ever going to be on anyone's side. So we get to the beginning. Batman R.I.P. It's just a giant red and black shot of Robin and Batman. And it says, you're wrong. Batman and Robin will never die. And it seems almost out of context for the entire issue because that um, doesn't really seem to fit at any moment in this book. I think it is because right after that, we jump six months earlier. And this this has like the classic crisis sky. I totally forgot (laughs) that uh, there was a six This is a big moment. Yeah, six months jump Good earlier. Shot. That single shot is? Yeah, yeah it's, it's like shot. a red crisis guy. Yeah. And 
Batman and Robin are purposely opaque, you know. Right. That, so we don't know who's who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know how much you encounter this, Django, but do you ever come across something in your life and you go, "Oh, that's that's eternal." Like one of that's just like like something that's going to live to the end of time, and it it's like presupposes time, and it will live throughout time. Like that's just an eternal thing. And I think that this image and this like this is kind of what Batman is. That's just like an eternal Batman thing. Just like the refusal to acknowledge death and just like yeah. fighting a war against it. When I looked at that, I was like, that is like, if you distill any Batman story down, it's just that thing. I, I don't know. I love this shot. And that's like, I think it comes up multiple times in this run, but that's like this run in so many ways. It's just like Batman's grip he has on death. Well, and and this this shot looks a lot like it could be 10 seconds or or less after the end of one of the Joel Schumacher Batman. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like they're still running across the rooftops. The insanity of it. (laughs) I think uh, like in reading this, the the Cody Walker Anatomy of Zero and R Batman book that um, I got and have been reading through as I'm reading this book, you know, it, it really actually goes pretty in-depth into that single image because we're reading R.I.P., which colloquially is thought of as rest in peace. Mm -hmm. So the idea of is Batman losing his mind is a thing that's been pushed up until this point. But also, just like you said, they're opaque. We don't know who is Batman and who is Robin in that image. It doesn't necessarily look like Tim so far as we've seen it so far in this run. That's got to be Damien. And like we've been seeing a lot of foreshadowing of Tim and Dick being kind of Batman and Robin dynamic up until this point. But then we're reading this idea of is Batman going to die? And it starts by saying like Batman and Robin are forever. So then it's this idea of and ultimately kind of what Batman Incorporated tackles, which is how much larger is Batman as an idea than Mm -hmm. he is as a singular person? Just your classic Grant Morrison, Django, one of our early conversations was you saying like Arkham Asylum starts with a shot of a tarot card and he, you were frustrated that he says the whole run is embodied in that single image. And I think this is another instance of him kind of trying to like pack as much into a single visual metaphor as, as oh. he possibly could. So we can stop here. We can stop here. We don't have to read All the right. whole run is what Grant right. has always I'm going to go said. get a cup of coffee. Oh, I've already <laughs> had some caffeine today. The the beats of this story in broad strokes, we in, we're introduced to the Black Glove and Dr. Hurt finally, which is awesome. We see uh, Batman and Robin chasing down some bad, bad criminals. And uh, then we get a scene with the Joker at the end. So this, Justin and I mentioned maybe last week on the last <clears throat> issue or, the, or episode of the podcast, but I have read the beginning of just R.I.P. a lot of times because... Yeah it never made as much sense as I thought it should out of, you know, out of context. And then we're, you know, like being a novice Batman reader at the time, you're introduced to this gallery of rogues that we've really never seen before, except for a couple of them earlier in this run. So it's like, even at the time, like, you know, I was like, I want to get into a Batman story. And I was like, Oh, I guess these guys are cool, but it's certainly none of the bad guys I was expecting and excited to see. Right. When I like, at this point in comic book reading, I started to like actually be a decent person with a full list instead of like not understanding that those books were ordered for me uh-huh. and kicking them back every time. I started <laughs> to slowly starting to move with my comic book training wheels on and I've gotten the idea that like there are runs that are, you know, single stories or like sagas in a book. 
and that this Batman R.I.P. was a run that told one kind of Batman story. But I didn't realize that this was within the run of the last seven years of or whatever of Grant Morrison's. So I thought that I could just like pick this up and I was supposed to know what was going on. And I could not figure it out and thought it was like trash. And Josh was just like, he got a Batman subscription when he was like 12 and just like, that's the only book he collected. So he kind of had context. And so he eventually like read it all in one thing. And he was like, it's fucking awesome. You'd <laughs> like it if you read it. And I was like, no, it's like gobbledygook garbage. And he eventually got me to reread Batman and Son and stuff. And I realized it's like, oh, this is part of a comic book run on a character. And it was like this whole little Batman RIP was such a thing for my brain to try to wrap itself around. What do you guys think of when, when you get a reveal like this, this first two-page spread that is Dr. Hurt with a bunch of new villains who are basically just, this is like a new group of villains that we've never seen before. I'm never super intimidated or interested when I see something like that because I've got no context for the new bad guys and I'm guessing that most of them will be dead <laughs> in one issue. Or else you know? they would be the Riddler and the Penguin. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. There's like it's it's an amount of disappointment. And at the time I started reading this, there was an amount of disappointment. As it stands now, like rereading it and also just kind of loving Grant Morrison always building his own t- toys and then playing mm-hmm. with them. Uh, much different spot for me now. But like, considering that I, I picked up R.I.P. and thought I could read it, that is, is an error. And I don't, yeah. I don't think that it is a shortcoming of the, the, the run, but I, I think that you know, it's a short, shortcoming in the public pers- persona of what comics should be or can be. And um, yeah, like Justin saying, yes, sometimes it's a run and sometimes you should be able to just get it from, uh, you know, read any issue and be okay. So, right. so, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say when I first read this, like, I just thought that these were random characters that are just assembled for these issues. But each one of these are a villain from the, the Club of Heroes who have fought and killed Batman before. Right. Black Glove is like, you know, now that seeing these, like, you know, tin head cowboy guy, you know, doesn't look very cool at first, but realizing that these are arch nemesis from other Batman. Okay, Rogue so... Gallery. I knew that like the El Sombrero was, and then the the guy with the like the, clearly the Greek headdress on, you know, makes sense. But yeah, now we when we think back on the black glove storyline, I can because I do think even one of them mentions a mime character. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, these that is interesting. It does. We, they are all the arch nemeses of these characters that have been introduced, and some of them we have met like the sombrero, but also some of them have been just mentioned in the run. So actually that's a, that's a great read on it, Justin. Like Scorpina and how like each one of these characters have faced head to head with a Batman and hurt has kind of collected his new, and they've talked about it being a club that's just kind of designed to fight Batman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that it makes a little more sense because when you first open it, you're like, okay, we have a mime, a Joker-esque Roman guy, a, a, like a Quasimodo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, underwater guy and then like a cowboy dude. I actually think Scorpina is a cool character and mine is cool too. But like at first you read them like, who are these like... Um, C or D level bad guys. Yeah, Island of Misfit Toys of Villains. Like, yeah. But it makes a little more sense now having the Club of Heroes for content. Right. It's like Legionary and Wingman and El Gaucho's bad guys. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Their rogues gallery who we just have never really been privy to other than that three issue arc. 
I really like. Oh, I really like this. The two pages that lead up to that double page reveal, which is uh, Le Basu. Uh, the Hunchback. The, oh, My nice. nice. Mr. Mr. The Hunchback is what yeah. it means. But his whole, like, he goes up to this castle and he goes out in the rain and he's all hunched over. And just the only dialogue we get is, I just killed a man on your doorstep. Uh, if your reach is as long as you say, that should be no problem. And then it cuts to just Dr. Hurt being like, all right, well, we've edited the dude's documented history to say he's a schizophrenic. <laughs> we left a note for his disabled wife saying he was suicidal. Um, and then eyewitnesses have been bribed or killed and the widow ruined. We are operators at the highest level. Like, it's just, like, awesome. That, yeah. that, even though it is B and C level characters we haven't met, the, the seriousness with which we should take them is, uh, yeah, he does a good job of conveying that, I think. I, I read it as, if your reach is as long as you say, that should pose no problem. Schultzy. <laughs> Letter Kenny. Oh, I just wanted to say, like, yeah, these characters look like C and D listers, but Dr. Hurt is just, like, such a crazy, evil, evil dude that even with these low-level characters, he can do, like, he, Dr. Hurt <laughs> scares me as bad as the Joker scares me. I don't need a costume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just look like Batman's dad. Yeah, I'm just a bad guy. Uh, and then we, after we you know, get that sort of stark introduction to those characters, we're taken to a, a several, several page chase sequence, Batman and Robin chasing down the green vulture, who is, you know, a crazy, even lower than the bad black glove guys we just met, like a, you know, G or H level crim, criminal. <laughs> but what is cool about this, he has kidnapped a dad and a mom and a son which sort of rem is reminiscent of Bruce and his parents being killed. But yeah, they, they reminded me of them a lot. Yeah, they're, they're in a car being chased by the Batmobile, and then we get this pretty gorgeous double-page spread of a Batmobile just racing through town. Should mention, this is Tony Daniels on art here. He does the whole volume. We had a different artist on the previous issue, um, probably to give Tony Daniels a lead time for this. Just to draw this one panel of the, the Dodge Charger converted into a Batmobile. <laughs> it's interesting is Robin says, okay, I'm impressed. Thumbs up, new Batmobile. And he says, I don't know. The first issue of Grant Morrison's run is called Building a Better Batmobile. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of a metaphorical statement about he's purified Batman. He's trying to build a more iconic uh, new Batman. And his, his critique of the Batmobile is like, I don't know. It's not how I saw it when I first had the idea. That seems to me like a meta statement that Grant is saying about like the run has evolved. It's become a different thing and I've got a new direction for it. I just love the way he writes possible meta narratives into things. Well, it also kind of gives him uh, an excuse to keep working on a Batmobile that we'll see later. That's true. Right? Yeah. Like he's, yeah. he's not done fiddling with this concept. And that's um, and, Batman. Like, he's constantly yeah. building and planning and engineering more, you know? Like Alfred says later in this issue, you know, he's, he's always trying to be the best he can be. And this is just part of the journey, is making this particular Batmobile. I thought this Batmobile was interesting because it's kind of, it, like, I would like that car, but it's not very cool as far as Batmobiles go. Like, it's, it's a car yeah. with, with fins on it and bat Red symbols light. on the wheels. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, right before that page, though, as we see the cars racing around, there is a shot of trash kind of being kicked up in the wind behind it. And I'm not sure if you saw the DVD case. Yeah. yeah. It's called Girls Gone Ape 7. Seven. X -X -X. And it's a bunch of women with their breasts out and with bars over it so you can't see it. But I was like, oh, do you remember the good old days where you're like 
12 or Django's like 40 and <laughs> you're like, you know, if you're up too late and now Comedy Central is just airing Girls Gone Wild ads between <laughs> every commercial break. So I, a little... I do remember that. It was right before I started, my memory started slipping. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah. so we find out that this, this bad guy is just, uh, just a dude in a costume. Like he's not really, he, he's, he's sort of faking being part of Batman's rogue rogues gallery. You're right? on bad drugs and a Halloween suit and about a dozen cameras recording your complete loss of self-respect. Love even, that Robin line. Yeah. And, and then he asks him to hit him and he's like, nah, I'm not going to hit you. Well, so <laughs> on the previous episode last week, um, Justin and I touched on, in a bit of it, uh, Grant refers to Jezebel Jett talking to Bruce as like, are you just into S&M? We were sort of talking about the way that the idea of sadomasochism is introduced at multiple times in this Batman run. That's a good instance of it, which is like mm-hmm. a lot of the villains are just <laughs> like almost like more similar at times portray them as fetishistic people who just want to be beaten up by Batman. Right. And uh, that's, that's a great instance of a bad guy doing just that. Yeah. And, and he's like some of his dialogue earlier in, in here is, is just talking about like, he says, leave them crazy clues. They'll never work out. Get me some hot psycho groupies with bells in their hair, body count, body count. He's leveraging Batman's bad guys to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's, I don't, I don't think that he is that. I think that he's just a dude who is like, Oh, if I can fake this stuff, I'll get a little more, a little more respect. Yeah. I want to be a Batman bad guy. Yeah. And I'm going to go to the, the, the spirit Halloween and pick up a a plastic (laughs) costume. (laughs) So there's no reason it should have stood out too much in this sequence if you've never read it before, but right above when they're apprehending this green vulture character, a car is about to hit a homeless man and the Batmobile slides out in front of it and stops it from happening. And the homeless man says, you have a very nice face. Mm-hmm. and robin says when was the last time you heard that and then robin Batman says there's a couple hundred dollars in the dash i'm pretty certain that's the homeless guy who is maybe a figment of his imagination that comes up later in this volume uh so mm-hmm. cool little tease of who that character is and, and some background of him yeah um yeah. Did, did that's for guys... sure him he's got the same cart yeah i felt like batman and robin are smiling a whole lot in this chase scene like yeah, they're having they're, fun they're hyped up on crime yeah <laughs> Solving crime. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Hyped up on crime. And then they get back home and Bruce sort of just storms straight up into his bedroom where Jezebel, just taking off his clothes as he gets there, just like he's got no top on by the end. And it's almost reminiscent of the original Talia al Ghul. Son of the demon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jezebel just just waiting there in like the nicest gown that anyone could possibly be wearing, and it's like dawn, and I'm like, I don't know, Jezzy, what are you doing? You just hanging out in this uh, dress, waiting for Bruce all day? Listen, it's like when you have a kid, you change your schedule to fit the kid's schedule. <laughs> now she's got a Bruce. She's got a like. They don't go on a. They, he doesn't pick her up at eight. He stumbles home at at six. That's true. Yeah. And learning that Batman is Bruce Wayne is a lot like learning you now have to care for an infant. So, <laughs> um, I like the conversation with uh, Alfred and, and him here. So, Justin, we touched on it a lot on the previous episode that like Batman is becoming an unreliable narrator. But yeah, like a Jeff Loeb level text dump here of ultimately asking Alfred like, do, do you are you worried about Bruce? Because that's a conversation he was having with Nightwing last time. Mm-hmm. 
But another key part of this page, Jeff Loeb text dump, is that once again, they're mentioning the Togel ritual and the isolation chamber that happened. And that was a thing that I just was so confused about reading when I originally read this run because it seems like something that would have happened historically in comics and it didn't. It seems like maybe something that would have happened in the early issues of this run and didn't. It was just those two chapters of 52 that he goes to the Togo ritual. Oh, the, the Togo ritual. But the, yeah. the other part happened earlier in this run, right? Yeah, the isolation, the isolation. chamber did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it is... That's a part where I can feel the, the evolution of this run sort of uh, taking a toll on the writing. Not that it's slipping or bad or anything, but um, I think that that became important enough as this evolved that I like to think that he would have more concretely incorporated that in the beginning of the run, um, particularly the Togel stuff, uh, had he known how critical it was going to be. Do we, I don't want to spoil anything, but do we ever get more on that? Or is it always just kind of references and, and like, it seems like periodically they'll define what it is, but we don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of discussion about it. He's like, yeah, remember that time you went to Nanda Parbat and, and sat in a cave for 49 days? That was crazy, it, bro. It does serve a larger purpose later on, but I think, I think originally it started off as like, um, how Hickman made Moira to like condense a bunch of continuity and like pick his own continuity. I think getting Bruce to kind of vomit up all the old shit that Grant Morrison didn't want to play with. Mm -hmm. It was like a continuity cleanup. And then what I like get confused at is when eventually the purpose of the Togo ritual is revealed, it is so indistinguishable for what happens when he's in his, like he has two moments where he goes into this like highly subjective experience within his own mind, the Togo and the isolation chamber. Mm -hmm. Like, why not just collapse them into one thing? Because now we have these two, like, Bruce is gone, but he's in his mind, and he's, stuff comes out of it, but we don't know. And from what I remember, what the kind of result of the Togel experiment shows up here really soon, I feel like that could have easily just been written into the, I, like, the golden flower inside the, the isolation experiment. I totally it's, agree it's so confusing dealing with like Bruce has two of these events. It may not have happened in physical time and space, but it happened mentally. And they both have some kind of subjective awakening moment for Bruce. And I like, they're so similar. It's hard. Like one's the bad one where his mind gets fucked up. And the yeah. other one's like where his mind does good things where he like reaches back enlightenment. So I'm, I'm always a little bit confused as to what did what, when. And, I would, and one is expressly talked about in the run, which is the isolation experiment, which mm -hmm. is mine gets fucked up. And then one is more alluded to and in issues leading up to it, which is the Nanda Parbat one, which is, you know, is it, it is quite important. Um, yeah. And we learned that in just a couple issues. I would submit that those two rituals are nothing more than allegories for his iterating on the Batmobile. So <laughs> he did like building a new Batman. Well, yeah, he's 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 constantly trying to to do something better. Just like Alfred says that here, he's yeah. like he's he's always striving for perfection. So, on the Batmobile, he's got a pretty solid Batmobile, but he's making a better one, and yeah, then he makes right. this better one, and and uh, you know down the line we get another even better one, and the same thing with these isolation experiments. He has a ten day isolation experiment, 
and learned something from it. And then he's like, oh, well, uh, that's cool, but I need the hardest possible isolation experiment drug I can find. I'm going to find a city you can't ever get to and, you know, sit in a cave that nobody's ever sat in before or whatever. Right. Well, I think the, the kind of largest thesis statement of this entire run is that Batman's greatest flaw is that he plans too much and he's never looking for the thing that he's not planning for because he's planning for everything. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who created the events that brings his undoing in this. And so like, wow, that's a really good point, Justin. Um, And that's, that's like what the black glove is. It is like, it is the thing that's squeezing around him that he doesn't see because he's so busy looking at other things. But then also both of you really just tied that together in my mind of like, his compulsive need to be preparing is what create like, is what drew him to the isolation experiment, which would allow ultimately what happens with Dr. Hurt and this post hypnotic triggers and everything to be happening at all. So, um, right. yeah, that's a very salient through line that I hadn't put my finger on before. I think that that's a theme that like Grant Morrison has tried to touch on before and finally like makes his perfect version. His perfect Batmobile is like ultimately <clears throat> Bruce, has nine eyes but he has a missing finger which is his own you know his own inability <laughs> to see that he can't no that's can't good that's everything. yeah yeah the previous issue is called the fiend with nine eyes and it's like the one dejected member of the cult that purified him but he's missing a finger that oh well played um continuing this tim versa- or timversation between he <laughs> and uh, alfred he does a good job of summarizing how in the other comics at the time and justin you've brought this to light which is like tim has had a Hooked up two years yeah he, you know he mentions uh he's been adopted by batman his dad has died his best <clears throat> friend has died and he's lost his girlfriend uh so it's just this deep place he's you know kind of fighting to stay close and relevant to the one thing that's important which is batman and so then we start a conversation between tim and alfred of like really i'm thinking about damien do we know the paternity of this kid like is he actually even batman's son now Alfred, you know clearly says that like yeah we know but it's not my place to say and that even more kind of draws a wedge between tim and batman and alfred and then also between he and damien because like it's you know them as a social unit are keeping him on the outside of a truth that is an important part of r.i.p is uh and just like from this moment on through batman like this is really what starts tim you know no longer being robin and then you know of course with damien and everything Tim kind of in the mental health crisis he's in in Red Robin. Yeah, exactly. Like he's, yeah. he has no one to truly trust or care for. And Tim is the only one here that cares enough about Bruce to ask if he's okay. Because, you know, Alfred's like kind of ignoring the fact that Bruce is losing his mind. Nightwing's just like, no, I don't really see it, man. Yeah, and they're both. Well. And clearly like, Tim is on point. Clearly you guys, you don't know him as well as I do. I think this kind of submits Tim as the best Robin, you know, like Robin Prime. He's the one doing the detective work and doing the things that no one else would, you know, because Nightwing's like, oh, yeah, I'm happy for him. (laughs) Alfred is pretty much the same way. And he's like, you're happy for him. He's losing his fucking mind. But no one will really acknowledge it, you know. Well, Tim has always been, like, he was, from the beginning, he was set up as the detective Robin, right? right? Like, Nightwing's the acrobat. Jason's kind of the wild card the bad boy and tim figured out who bruce was that's that's how he although i never quite bought the idea that tim's family lived close enough to the wayne manor for him to figure that out but yeah 
That's he's also got the best costumes. Yeah. yeah. Best R. The best R logo ever yeah. made. Oh, yeah. Just uh, him in this era with this cape and this costume mm-hmm. and his detective skills. It's just like, that's the coolest Robin. No one will ever be as cool as Tim Drake with his red costume and his, like, out, kind of outsmarting even Batman in some, some ways. Listen, I can't, I can't disagree with you, but I also have to say that I would say all of those things except for the short sleeve shirt Tim Drake. I oh, love the, yeah. like, the beginning issue one of that Robin series. Like that outfit is actually one of my favorite costumes of all time. Um, like short sleeve shirt Tim Drake is. Oh yeah, I love that. I mean, that probably came out the year you were born. Yeah, probably. I'm twelve. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we get uh, a, a two-page sequence of Bruce talking to Jezebel Jet, whose hair is now much longer than in the previous issue with that fill-in artist who drew it at very different <laughs> lengths between her ear and her shoulder. And now it's like long and flowing down her back. And it's him visiting the graves of his parents. And she says, you know, I think that they'd be proud of you. You're, you're, doing, you're doing well. Have you avenged them? And, but she's ultimately going to go back to her country. And as she's leaving, she says she got this invitation to from the Black Glove, which extends an invitation to Miss Jezebel Jet and Mr. Bruce Wayne, the theme of this season, Dance Macabre. Do you... Mm. Do you know what dance macabre is a reference to? Like, it's a phrase I've heard many times in my life. Is it dance of death? Yeah, Yeah, it's a dance of death. And I I actually looked it up before this podcast, and then it just fell out of my head brain. But it's it's like an old French concept, um, just kind of talking about death. Gosh, I wish I had paid a little closer attention when I was reading that. Um, but it, it kind of like realizing that that was French and the hunchback was French made me wonder if, uh, Monsieur Le Bosseau was going to be, if, if, if that ties together or if he's just mm. like, yeah, I'll use this old, old word that everybody kind of knows. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it a, a thing to do with the black plague? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I thought that it was, maybe that's my mind adding stuff to make it make sense and fit it more but yeah i think it is something related to the black plague which it's it's the uh it's it's an artistic genre of allegory of the late middle ages on the universality of death no matter one station in life the dance macabre unites all yeah i bet that was also on the forefront of people's mind in those ages with the black plague going on yeah the final five pages of this issue are so good and they are some of my favorite joker stuff ever and it it's really freaky it's freaky and it really ties into that clown at midnight issue that Django and i recorded and talked about uh that mm-hmm. i had not read before you know originally and the black and white mo- or sorry the black and red motif black red and white actually motif this idea of what joker is seeing it's him in an institution and he is given a joker plague to everyone in the world it seems like and he's murdered tim and dick and commissioner gordon and he's staring at an ink blot Rorschach test, and he's seeing in his blood, and all of this is a fantastical vision he's having in his head as he's having a Rorschach uh, test done to him. And the doctor says, do you see anything? Nothing at all. And then he says, another pretty flower. Obviously not what he's seeing. I love that. So a couple things about this scene. I thought that the, I, I think that there are some coloring mistakes here. Oh. Um, I, I read on, you guys know the internet? I read this thing on the internet. Um, yeah, we've had a Grant, falling out, but we used to be close. <laughs> Grant Morrison said that the final page is not supposed to have blood on the Joker. Oh. So the Joker hasn't killed anybody on that page. He's, he's, he's 
taking this Rorschach blot test from a doctor who I think is maybe the hunchback. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I think that the, I don't think that the doctor or the Rorschach, like from the Rorschach blot on, I don't think that that should be colored in the the stark black and white. Yeah. That that Um, makes sense because he wouldn't have had blood on him at that point. Right. 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 And I think that, I think that the all the black and white stuff leading up to that is the Joker's imagination and mm-hmm. what what the Rorschach blot is making him see, and then and then we jump back to reality. So I was super confused by that that sequence, and I had to Google it. That's interesting. Um, I, I probably I, I probably just wrote it off in my head as like this is what he's seeing. So maybe he just always views himself as covered in blood or something. Um, right. But- but yeah, you're right. And th- there's no causal reason at that point from inside the asylum that he would be covered in blood. Um, going back to the Jezebel Jet thing, I really like yeah. when she says, um, she asks Bruce if he'll know when his parents have been avenged. Like, when when do you balance the scales and can you quit? It, it seems almost like she's asking, are you going to be done at some point? Yeah, and actually kind of her role seems like, even in doing that, she is chipping away at the foundation of what he believes his purpose is and what it needs to be. So now Mm -hmm. if she can cause him to doubt, and I think that doubt uh, being introduced to him is a really important story element of particularly RIP. Yeah. Right. And she's doing it in this like clever guise of she's humanizing him and caring about him, but she's undoing him, you know? Yeah. The, the scene of Joker, he's got Tim and Dick and commissioner Gordon murdered. And it says, put a happy face written on blood on the wall. I liked that very much because it does not have a dead Batman. And that right. kind of reminds us that like, he doesn't want to kill Batman. He wants to continue playing with Batman forever. He just wants to break him and get all of the other people out of the way. It's no fun when you finally win your poker game and have everybody's money. Cause then you have to stop eating the host's chips and go home and take a shower to get all the cigar off. Exactly. And the Joker never wants to get to that point. Um, and he's all, yeah, he's in love with Batman and his closest allies are Joker's worst enemies, not Batman. And this like incarnation of the Joker with the gunshot wound in this new, like highly medical yet kind of surgery butcher thing is like there. Joker has been very evil in lots of places in Batman's life, but this is like the most peer for evil sake evil. Like he is just, he looks, he looks like how I imagine Satan looks like, like he's just this like pure, raw destructive evil he's terrifying and also maybe my favorite joker i was gonna say it's it's my favorite incarnation of joker um, dr joker yeah dr joker hey, you know that dr j <laughs> oh yeah it's all harley <laughs> quinn the clown at midnight text issue really does a great job of describing how he got to this point it's a metamorphosis right. it's like kafka um, yeah have we have we not seen the joker since then i don't think so okay no uh, I mean, besides that one little issue where he talks to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To Justin's point, I think it's my favorite mm-hmm. Joker. I love a horrifically murderous Joker. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love the clown prince of crime as well, but I love how Joker looks here. And I love how horrifically murderous he is. And I, you know, I like that there's Batman stories where there's no punches pulled in terms of how uh, hostile and sadistic he is. So you like evil Joker more than chaos Joker? Yeah, I do. You know, I think that like chaos Joker is maybe best exemplified in Dark Knight, Dark Knight with Heath yeah. Ledger's Joker. Yeah. But I, I like a Joker that will m- really does want to murder you. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Um, Chaos Joker is a hard line to tour, like to tow, because you know you there there is a way where like people want to make him a good guy when he's just Chaos Joker, because you know we've seen in the world how bad law and order and Batman's type of order can actually be for humanity as a whole. Mm-hmm. But it's like I always want to like Chaos Joker a lot. Like I like the character Anarchy a lot because I think mm-hmm. right. oppressive order is terrible. But it's like, but he does still kill people. So no matter what, he's evil at the end of the day. Might as well just double down and make him fucking super evil. Because yeah. Chaos Joker, you can never just like you can never say I like him. Yeah. Because you, know, you know, I like like you. <laughs> yeah, I liked Chaos Joker and all the way down the Tom King story with mm. the Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Like that was a way to embody a slightly murderous, but still a more that like felt like Joker just having fun. And in this, this is like the other end of the spectrum where it's like Joker personified is like kind of unjust, pointless death for no reason. The ultimate type of suffering where you die without a purpose. Um, Batman's whole thing is dying with a purpose. So, Like Django Uh, said, uh, the doctor giving the Rorschach exam to the Joker, the power goes out and we learn that that is Le Bossu. And Monsieur Le Bossu. Monsieur Le Bossu. And Mr. He, the Hunchback. My nom de crime is Le Bossu. Uh, <laughs> and he ultimately says, I'm, on he- I'm here on behalf of the Black Love, and I want to invite you to the dance of death. And mm-hmm. Joker says, another pretty flower. So it's them recruiting a chaos agent. It's probably a mistake, but uh, yeah. So like, what are, the, what are the big things that happened in this issue that are important? We, we met some... the Black Glove. Mm-hmm. Right? Officially. Yeah. Oh, the Batmobile. We got the new Batmobile. We got a new Batmobile. We're well, furthering... Sorry, Justin. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say the new Batmobile and Tim, it's like kind of Batman's big push to finally crush the Black Glove, you know? Kind of like how Batman thought he was prepared to fight Bane the day and he got his ass flipped. He's like, I'm just going to go in there and be Batman and that's what I do. I don't get scared. So we're seeing that fatal flaw. Like Batman's just going to go be Batman and that's all he has to be. So I think we're seeing that big moment of kind of uh, his hubris. I relate yeah. to this guy so much. Yeah, we're we're fur- <laughs> we're further further ironing out Tim's concern for Batman, and also the fact that no one else is quite <clears throat> acknowledging that. We're further galvanizing Batman and Jezebel Jet, Bruce's and Jezebel's relationship, or at least showing that he's finally showed her who he really is and trusts her and has let her in. And that's a, a big thing that happens in this issue. To his bedroom. To his bedroom. And to the grave room, which is probably just as emotionally significant. Yeah. And then we really meet the new Joker in this. So, like, even though it's a lot of, like, talking heads and moving, it's, like, a really importantly foundational issue for the rest of the run. And I think it is an impressive amount of, you know, cornerstone foundational building for mm-hmm. an issue that almost can feel like, did anything happen? Um, and I think it's important to note that, like, the black glove at this point has ironed out and has beat Batman at his own game to the point where they're arrogant enough to invite Joker, a chaos agent. Like you'll probably want to see this. You care a lot about this guy. You know, you know, it's like this hubris. It's a hubris thing. And it's like a fuck you. Like, well, you don't get to kill him, but we'll invite you along. We're going to defeat him for you. You know, it's, that's like a fucked up, fucked up thing to do. And, you know, of course, Joker's going to want to have his own ideas on about it. But, you know, it's such a, like, oh, we finally defeated the Batman. He doesn't even know it yet. And I guess you can, you know, come around for seconds um, mm-hmm. just to watch it. It's, uh, 
it's a very villainous, but also just like an arrogant, arrogant thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really love this issue. I love that, particularly the end sequence with the jo- Joker is just uh, very, very good stuff. I'm so excited to continue moving through R.I.P., which is, I think, I really think this is sort of the first, like Black Glove, the fir- that three little issues was very, very good. But this seems to me like the first, like really big set piece, like the first really big culminating moment of the run. Right. Mm-hmm. This could have been the end of the run had it not gone on to Batman and Robin and Batman Inc. And I love, I just love Grant Morrison's use of the Joker. Like he understands the Joker to the point where he isn't going to make him the main villain, but he's going to be as integral to the whole story as a main villain, if not more so. But he's kind of in the background and he's in and out and he's playing both sides. And ultimately you couldn't do the things you would do to Batman as the Joker, like have a big plan, beat him at his own game play out, out beat him in, in the chest on the chessboard. So it's, I really love his, I think he just handles Joker very classily. You know, you, if you make him the main front and center character that's defeated, it kind of lessens the Joker mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. So he gives him a lot of uh, just kind of honor for that archetype honors that character mold in, in the best way by making him as scary as the black glove or Dr. Hurt, but like scarier in a way. Cause you don't, you truly truly do not know who he's serving in this right yeah well i have a question about the the podcast on the whole are we are like i feel like we've reached the end of this issue are we reading detective 846 to 850 nightwing 147 to 150 robin 175 176 and batman and the outsiders 11 through 13 to complete the batman r.i.p checklists or oh wow like, what's what's oh. the plan because i know we did that with uh ross agul yeah, yeah. So, I'm so assuming that we're doing all the spinoffs for every part of this. Yeah, so actually, let's amend it. Let's not do this day by day. What we'll do is between now and tomorrow, we'll read all of those issues, and we'll just do one big podcast on the whole thing. Okay, we'll okay. just chug them. Yeah. We got to do all of Battle and the Cal and all the times for that, too, and the return of Bruce Wayne. I do, I do actually want to mm-hmm. do what we did with Resurrection of Ra's al Ghul for Battle of the Cow, which is only three episodes, but I would like to, or sorry, three issues, but I'd like to read those three issues and then talk about that as a week uh, episode, even though it's written by Tony Daniel, but it's such an important... I was so horngibby for those back in the day. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much. You can uh, write us an email or record a, a vocal message and email it to us at batmaninquarantine at gmail.com, assuming that URL is... Uh, is going to work. Right? Oh, I well. made it, buddy. I made it oh, while we were talking today. Django, <laughs> you're so good. And the Jeff, archetype. the password is... Oh, wait. I'll tell mm. you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Dance Macabre, <laughs> <laughs> which is hard to spell. Well, as always, I am Jeff. Thank you for listening. I am Justin, and I like Batman. Batman. I'm Django, and I like Chaos Joker. Oh. That makes That's pretty, pretty in line with my understanding of Django. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.